even the first Thanksgiving mm-hmm. was not all roses, no. you know, just like ours is not. And we are all people with stories and brokenness and loss. Mm-hmm. And we even so come together to celebrate and to give thanks because I think we as believers know that we can always give thanks and, and the word tells us to. Welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth that we find there. My name is Amanda Bible Williams. And I'm Rachel Myers. And we are so glad that you're with us as we continue to talk about the She Reads Truth morning and dancing reading plan. Rachel, what are some things we're going to touch on this episode? We are going to talk about Squanto. Okay. We're going to talk butternut squash. Perfect. We will explore the joy of Gantt charts. <laughs> okay. And we will also spend some time talking about God's Word. Perfect. And we also have our very first special guest. So without further ado, let's get going. Okay, gang, here we are, episode two. And I have to give you all listeners some fair warning. We have a man on the floor. <laughs> a one, John Greco is with us. You don't know him, but you will love him. John is our content director at She Reads Truth, and he is the brains and the letters after his name behind a lot of the very smart things that we do. If you read things from She Reads Truth, you likely read what John has helped us create. So welcome, John. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Well, today we are on uh, week two of our morning and dancing reading plan. As you know, last episode, we kicked off not just our podcast, but the morning and dancing reading plan with the community. We dug into a lot of um, scripture about the concept of morning and dancing and how that interacts. And we also talked about how that works in our own lives. And then today we're going to talk a little bit more about morning and dancing, but it also happens to be the week of Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So we'll talk about that. And um, I mean, where do we start? What should we start talking about? So as we were talking about this, you know, the other day in the office, one of the things that kind of struck me is Jesus kind of gave us a framework for thinking about the mourning, dancing, grief, joy. So I thought it might be helpful to kind of visit the Gospels and read a passage that at first might not seem like it has much to do with this topic. But if you just bear with me and allow me to explain, hopefully we can see how this kind of helps us in our own lives see the interaction of times of grief, times of joy. In Matthew 9, uh, starting with verse 14, then John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, John's disciples came to him, Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. I'm just going to pause there for a second. So, just kind of give a real little background, you know, it was common, you know, in the first century for disciples of any religious group to fast as part of their devotion to God. So the question was naturally asked, like, hey, Jesus, you have disciples. Why why aren't they fasting? And Jesus' answer is, well, they're not going to fast because I'm here with them. It's time for celebration. But there will come a time when I will be taken away, and then they will fast. And if you notice, he says, can the wedding guests be sad? So he ties mm-hmm. fasting not just to devotion to God, but also to to grief, to mourning, to sadness. Yeah, actually, the ESV I have in front of me, and it uses the word mourn. Can the yeah. wedding guests mourn? Right, and mm-hmm. and that's 
Great job, ESV. I'm, <laughs> I'm reading from the CSB in case anybody's curious what the difference is. So the point is that you know while Jesus is present, his disciples will celebrate, and then when he's taken away, they'll be they'll be sad. And you know if you read like study Bibles, commentaries, and things, they'll say, oh, he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about when he when he is taken away, he's he's killed. Um, and that's true. Obviously, like when Jesus died, that Friday, Saturday, in between, uh, before Easter Sunday, it was a time of mourning. And I mean, we don't know that the disciples literally fasted during those days, but it's a good guess. But what we do know is that after the resurrection and ascension in the book of Acts and later in the New Testament, Christians fast. It's just part of the Christian life. So it seems like what Jesus is describing is not just the crucifixion, but also the time when he would be taken away bodily, when he will go sit at the right hand of the Father and no longer be present with us. So I want to I want to just kind of get to the next part because people kind of read this and kind of you know oftentimes we'll skim over it and go what what is he talking about here? But I think this is really kind of key. So just you've been great so far. Bearing with me and just, just <laughs> one more minute, I promise. No one patches an old. This is verse sixteen. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Jesus, of course, is advocating wine drinking. No, he's not. He's, uh, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that. But w- what he is saying is this period of mourning that he's talking about that will come is something new. It doesn't fit into the old models. That's because Jesus will be taken away, but he'll also be present. You know, he says later in the, in the Gospel of John, like, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come mm-hmm. and be with you. And he's talking about the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, but it is also referred to in Scripture as the Spirit of Jesus, Christ's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. So when, you know, this Holy Spirit lives inside of a believer, is present with believers in community, that is the presence of Jesus. So mm-hmm. we're in this weird place where it's right to mourn because yeah. things aren't as they will be. Jesus, Jesus has gone, uh, gone away and we are waiting his return. But it's also right to celebrate because he is with us. Things have changed. Yeah. The resurrection is true. It is real. It is our hope. Yeah. So we live in this time of mourning and dancing. And it's always been that way. We talked a little bit about the book of Ecclesiastes, and a key verse for our plan comes from chapter 3. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. And that is true. Solomon writing Ecclesiastes is thinking of life under the sun, this earthly realm, he's, he's, if you read that book, that, that phrase, under the sun, comes up again and again. And the idea is that let's look at life the way we see it right here on the horizon. Yeah. And, and so that is our, our experience. Jesus is talking about a life that's lived in view of both this present reality and the one to come. Right. Um, the already and the not yet. Let's talk more about the already and the not yet, because I think that that's a phrase that I now I feel like I hear and even use rather often, but that wasn't always the case. I feel like the first time I heard it was maybe in the last 10 years, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even maybe sometime around the start of She Reads Truth, honestly. And so, not that we coined that phrase because we did not actually don't know who coined that phrase. Does John know? I don't. It's a, Mm. I mean, do you know, Ray? Mm, We don't know. But it is. It's a helpful phrase Mm -hmm. because I think that, you know, we spoke last episode about how difficult it is to navigate the tensions of life and had to navigate these dichotomies of, you know, we mourn, but we dance. We're, you know, joyful, but we grieve. So all of these things that are happening simultaneously, we sin and are sinners, but we are redeemed in Christ. So all of these things that we hold. So 
Can I ask you, Ray, like, what is the already, if, if I asked you to say, like, what's the definition of when you say the already and the not yet? I think that's really good to think about because I think um, we have our own personal alreadys and not yets, I think. Yeah. And then I think that the redemption story sits within the already and the yeah, not yet. And good. I think there's both of those. A personal already and not yet for each of us in not just one, but many things as we were walking through life, our life experiences, but in the spiritual, like in our great big story of redemption and where we sit in the already and not yet, the reality is if things weren't broken in this world, then what are we looking forward to? Right now, we can celebrate because Christ has victory over the grave, over death. And with that come the promises and the one big promise of, of eternity that Christ will make all things new and are already... So that's the not yet, that, that Christ will make all things new, but our already... But the victory is already. But the victory is already, yeah. and the already is that He is actively making all things new. Right. He is, when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. He is making me new. I'm actively uh, you know, a work in progress. I am being sanctified. And so the already is Christ's victory, and that He is making all things new. And the not yet is that indeed all things will be made new. And so that's exactly where mourning and dancing comes in, right. because we celebrate what is to come and what has come, and we also grieve because the world is broken. Right, right. And when you think of you know the making all things new in the context of you know the new heavens and the new earth, like clearly that is not something that has come to fruition. However, God is bringing His kingdom to bear on earth right now. Mm -hmm. And so that isn't already, but not yet. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, you know, we kind of live in the middle of it. So oftentimes it's really hard to see how things are being made new. Like, in other words, we don't get a glimpse into what would this world be like if Christ had never come? Mm -hmm. Because we've never, we we can't experience that, right? We live post-Advent. Post-Advent. So we... We live in a world where things are being made new. Things are not as bad as they would be. Mm-hmm. They are still there's still room to go. There's still there's still much ground to be gained. There's still much of the kingdom that needs to flourish here on earth. But from what scripture tells us, from what we know about the nature, the true nature of this world, things are not yet as they should be. And we are in between the promise and the promise fulfilled. Which brings us right back to that Matthew 9 passage. Jesus answers, well, they're not fasting because the Messiah is among them. I am here and there will be a time when I'm not. Um, And then again, there will be a time where I am. And so we're in between that time. Right. And so it is right to, to celebrate because... Christ is with us. We have that promise of of God incarnate and Emmanuel, God with us right now. But we also mourn because the world is broken and the world is not right. And we are still waiting for that second advent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we probably all run across people who maybe don't say this out loud, but the the tone and the, the way they carry themselves kind of tells the world, like, if you're a believer and you're sad or you're upset, you're not really believing, right? Because mm-hmm. because the promise of the gospel is good news, mm-hmm. and you know. But that's not what scripture tells us. It's not what scripture tells us. Yeah. Not what scripture models for us. And the truth is, if we go around pretending everything is great, then what are we waiting for? And yeah. what is we, our hope? Right. Yeah. Why do we need Jesus? Right. If everything is already great. Yeah, we yeah. mourn because ex- exactly because we need Jesus. Because right. we need. What Revelation tells us will happen. Our that the future day will hope. Come yeah. Where there's no more mourning, no yeah. more grief, that because all things are made new. Because his dwelling place is with man. Right. 
Yeah. I I feel like I've experienced a lot of this even recently with the illness of our youngest son, where I think a lot of my sorrow and my grieving has actually become to me a proof, you know, that yeah. that Christ is real and that hope is real because otherwise it would just be like, well, this is just the way it is. But it's not just the way it is. We do live in a broken world with broken bodies, and his body is broken in some really complex ways. But because I know that Jesus is who he says he is, I inherently feel this tension and frustration that my son is still broken because I know that Christ is the one who makes all things new. And I long for him to make, you know, for example, my son's body new. Yeah. And so I think in a lot of ways I've come to almost rely on that tension to be like a proof to my own heart that my hope is not an empty hope. Sort of the affirmation that it is right to mourn because things are broken. Right. Yeah. And Jesus mourns. Mm -hmm. And we see in Scripture that Jesus mourns. And we see through the Old Testament, God, you know, being compassionate toward and loving toward and frustrated with. Is that fair to say? (laughs) I think His people. And, Mm -hmm. And so I believe that our sorrow and our brokenness mean something to Christ yeah. and that it is it does not go unseen or even unfelt. I don't know how to talk about the Trinitarian God feeling things. Like I, I'm not trying to make some sort of statement about that, but I do think that, I mean, when you read a psalm that says, you keep all of my tears in a bottle, that's a tender, yeah. that's a tender truth. Mm-hmm. Which John, it brings us back to what you said from Ecclesiastes, you know, that there is a time for everything under the sun. That language, those three words are really important Mm -hmm. because we are currently under the sun. That's our not yet situation, so to speak. And there will be a time where um, we are not under the S-U-N sun, where all things will be made new, where there will be no sun because Christ will dwell with us. And there won't be a time for mourning and dancing. And there won't be a time for all of those things that the writer of Ecclesiastes, we think it might be Solomon, we don't know. Who is the writer of Ecclesiastes, John? Uh, is technically anonymous. Okay. Uh, tradition tells us it is Solomon. There's good reasons to believe it is Solomon. There are also good reasons to believe it is not. It doesn't really matter, but you know, yeah. I, I'm, I tend to be one of those people that says, well, what does Scripture tell us explicitly? That's what I'm going to bank on. Yeah. And it doesn't tell us that Solomon wrote it. So, so I'll just keep referring right. to him as but, him or her as you, the writer of Ecclesiastes. But you're, you're in good company if you say Solomon. That's been the traditional position, you know, down okay, through the centuries. Guys, we're going to study Ecclesiastes in the spring, so... That'll be good. Yeah, buckle up. Um, Yeah. But but that's the under the sun concept. And I think that that's so good to focus in on those three words. And one of the things that like, as you're saying that keeps coming to my mind is like, oh yeah, like if you were living in the Old Testament uh, era, uh, right up until Christ came on the scene, your expectation was we live in this broken age and there's an age coming where God will make all things new. We're waiting for a day where things are going to change, like the day of the Lord, a period mm-hmm. of time where now that was the old and this is the new. And, and they didn't even know what that day of the Lord would look like or how that would come to pass. I mean, there are clues in the, in the prophets about, you know, judgment and, you know, vindication for Israel and things like that. Which we would talk about in yeah. a couple of weeks. I'm excited. <laughs> but there's also like when Jesus comes and he starts explaining the kingdom, it becomes a, like, it's a new, it's a paradigm shift because it's not a cut and dry, okay, I'm here now and here's the kingdom. It's, I'm here now 
here's the kingdom. It is within you. It is among you. It is, mm-hmm. it is here. He announced it. But then also, it is still future. It is still coming. So right. we, it's this thing that nobody expected. This time where we are in the, we are still living in the old age, where we're expecting all things to be made new. We're still waiting for God to set things right. But we're also, we've also been ushered into the kingdom of light. We are now living in a world where Jesus reigns, and He lives. You know, the Spirit of God lives within believers, and. We know our hope because Christ has been raised from the dead. That is our, you know, he's the first fruit. So we know that is our future expectation. Which is what, Amanda, you were saying, that yeah. that right now you live with a future hope. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. We and, all, I mean, we all do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> do yeah. I do. I didn't mean to sound so mirth. I do. Yeah. Um, and it has been right in front of me. Like it is so far away. It is the not yet. Mm-hmm. But the already of yeah. that has also been just so present. And I don't mean like little ways that everything is okay. I mean the beauty that actually comes out of the brokenness. Mm -hmm. And only God can do that. Mm -hmm. Only God can enter into a situation that on the surface is really, really... um, Crappy. I want to say crappy, <laughs> but I don't want to say crappy on the Sheer Truth podcast. But it's a really crappy situation. I think that you have permission to say that the situation <laughs> is crappy. Thank you, everyone. Please, no, everyone, no forgive judgment. us. Please listen to our <laughs> podcast, though. <laughs> but it is a it is a crappy situation. Yeah. But God is so kind and near, and the beauty of the hope of the gospel is in our face mm-hmm. a lot. And I don't mean that in like a glib like. Oh, everything's fine. We're just pretending like this is all easy. It is deeply difficult. Yeah. I am very tired at this very moment recording this podcast because because of the privilege of caring for my ailing son, yeah. you know? And so um and only in God's economy can something as tragic as what he has endured be just overwhelmingly beautiful and fruitful. Only and it, in God's economy can even after a night like last night for you, Amanda, right. can you come this morning and put on the headphones and sit in front of the microphone and talk about Thanksgiving? Yeah. That's in yeah, God's economy. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's going to be a good Thanksgiving this week, you guys. It is. This is a very different... I mean, here I go transitioning. I'm I'm going to be no, your transition do. queen. Let's do. But I think that it is not that abrupt of a transition to talk no. about morning and dancing and by no mistake that it is Thanksgiving week. And my goodness, I mean, all the way back to the first Thanksgiving, that was a a day, a moment of mourning and dancing. But Amanda, like you said, this Thanksgiving for you guys is so different than last last year. Right. And like show of hands, you know, for the the listeners, like who is simultaneously looking forward to and dreading Thanksgiving dinner, you know, like it's, it's hard. Humans, Humans are tough, you guys. Mm-hmm. We're hard to live with. Mm-hmm. And we all have our situations. And man, you put a bunch of us in one room, and then you've got a lot of situations in one room. And it's a lot. But I'm thankful we really, as for humans, Thanksgiving. As humans, you know? we really tend to complicate things. Really, We really do. Yeah, sorry about hard. that. Mm. Did you just say word? I said we're hard. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Word. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, first Thanksgiving, you just said something that's interesting. You said that even the first Thanksgiving, have you been researching the first Thanksgiving? Only a little. Only a, okay. only a nerdy little. Spill it. I want to well, hear. Okay, so John and I have actually been talking about the first Thanksgiving a little bit 
And John knows so much more than I do. John just props us up and makes us look smart. That's the reality. Hardly. He really does. Um, but but it's fascinating to know that on the Mayflower, it was 102 passengers. And one person died on the passage and one child was born. So 102 oh, wow. humans arrived um, at Plymouth. Is that right? Yeah. This is, see, you guys, I'm not a historian. <laughs> Plymouth. You know what? Gonna... We don't love you because you're a historian. We no. love you because you're you. Thanks. But 102 humans arrived. And after the first winter, 51 had survived. So wait, exactly Literally half? half? I don't do math. Yeah. But half. Yes. I don't do history. Amanda doesn't do math. We're just a, like a we're, fantastic We're an excellent combo. pair. Yeah. So literally half. And here's the interesting thing, you guys. Of those 51 who survived, only four were women. Literally four women survived that first winter. So that's that's wh- that's what they had left to work with in terms of even just all of the responsibilities of taking care of all of the cooking and the cleaning and the, the, those things. I can tell you why. I do so know why there was only four women. they entered into the first Thanksgiving having just lost half of their population? Yes. Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. And I think what we understand is probably why more men survived than women is probably because of fresh air. They were out hunting and, and building and like doing outdoor wow. fresh air things where... I Guys, think the women were inside. Hit pause and go outside. Go outside. Take your, get some fresh take air. Take your phone outside. Well, yeah. Throw your window down in your car. We what, want you to survive to Thanksgiving. What it Gosh. was was, you know, they showed up at Plymouth, and rather than, you know, it takes a while to build houses, so they stayed on the Mayflower. So they would use that kind of as their base of operations. Oh. So the women were in this nasty ship that had, you know, been on sea for months, where people were dying. Where people were dying, and you know, disease spread. You know, and, and they don't know exactly. It may have been smallpox. They're not sure. The more like I dug in, the more I discovered like, oh, history in this for this era, this this event, these events are a little is a little sparse. Like right. we're kind of building it off of you know some later reports, and it's hard to know exactly what what's accurate. Right. But, but, the, but the general picture is that yeah, 102 people left uh, Europe, and then 51 were at that first Thanksgiving. With uh, of that number, four were women. And we're not sure. There are some there are some theories that the feast that they were celebrating was possibly Sakat or the Feast of Tabernacles, like a Jewish feast, which usually happens kind of mid October. Is that right, John? Yeah, it's the fall. It's in the fall. You know, depending on how the Jewish calendar you know interacts with our modern Roman calendars. Finding that made me excited. Like I wanted to know more about that. Turns out I don't know that it can be verified. So take that for what you will, kind listener. But that was interesting to think about, even, you know, from the concept of, well, they were Puritans. So like celebration for them would have likely involved fasting and being alone, which is the opposite of Thanksgiving for most people. Right. But but that wasn't the case. No, it was, uh, so from what I understand, from what I've read, the original plan was, let's do a three-day fast to show God how thankful we are for surviving the first winter and having our first harvest. Aren't you glad that trend didn't didn't catch. Right. Yeah. yeah. I want my turkey and my dressing <laughs> and my dumplings. But then because they wanted to invite the Native Americans that had befriended them and had helped them, they said, they're not going to get this. So let's, let's do a feast. Let's do something where, where you can invite them and, and, you know, join in together and they'll, they'll understand a feast. So that's what it turned into. So we think of Thanksgiving as a celebration, right? We always think of it as, you know, this is a time to show God we're thankful, but I can't imagine they sat down to eat without also remembering those 51 people people that that weren't there. Well, and just burying. I mean, just the mourning that must have been in the air 
and yeah. the uncertainty and the and the tension. We've used that word a lot, but goodness, yeah. I can't even imagine. And all of the historical details, which are super fascinating, all of this is to say that even the first Thanksgiving mm-hmm. was not all roses, no. you know, just like ours is not. And we are all people with stories and brokenness and loss, mm-hmm. and we even so, come together to celebrate and to give thanks. Because I think we as believers know that we can always give thanks. And and the Word tells us to. Yeah. I, I mean, think- you have Paul and Silas in prison singing, you know, from a prison cell. So really, that first Thanksgiving was sort of more of a template than we realize for mm-hmm. the holiday that we now celebrate and a template for mourning and dancing, because it wasn't like, let's celebrate the bounty, let's celebrate the the cornucopia, mm-hmm. that horn full of vegetables that we all like on our right. Thanksgiving cards. It was completely sad. Um, yeah. And it was completely worth celebrating that, I mean, it doesn't feel like a mistake that it was a 50% loss. There was a, a total morning of half of their people and mm-hmm. a total celebration that half of the people lived. Right. And you you mourn and you celebrate on both sides of that. And so it feels really cool that they wanted to celebrate, that they wanted to feast, that they wanted to invite strangers to the table. And I mean, they were strangers themselves in, right. in that land, but it feels really like a perfect template for yeah. the way we should be celebrating Thanksgiving. Well, and it's not an accident that we are doing this reading plan, morning and dancing, with the Thanksgiving holiday. It is not what you would think of as a traditional Thanksgiving plan, but holidays are that for us. And if I think back to last Thanksgiving in 2018, it was such a picture of this to me because Toby was in the hospital. He was on full body life support and we, I was living at the hospital at the time, and we. Um, she actually had met a, like a key card to a room, like not yeah. like living in his room, but like no, he, like they gave me a room. Which thank you, thank Vanderbilt, you. Thank for you, Vanderbilt. giving me a room. And I stayed there for about six weeks, and so during that six weeks was Thanksgiving, and, and it felt so counterintuitive to leave my at the time we thought could be dying son and go celebrate. But yeah. I remember being, you know, we went we met at my mom's house. My brother's family was there. My husband, my kids were there. My mom was there. Her sister was not, which was notable because she was always at all of the, my Aunt Wanda, she was always at all of the meals and, you know, brought her signature green beans and, <laughs> you know, the cranberry salad that was my grandmother's recipe, all of those things. But she had passed away the February prior. And so this was just a really achy, hard Thanksgiving. But I can still remember circling up with our people. Gosh, you guys, I'm not going to cry every episode. Here I go, (laughs) fanning myself so I can get past it. But I remember circling up and holding hands and praying, and we prayed for Toby, and we gave thanks for our family, even though some of us had been lost, you know, like, and we meant that. That was true Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And so it really... It just in my mind is such a snapshot of of those things coexisting. Yeah. And I imagine for so many of our friends listening right now, that is what this Thanksgiving will be. And so 
this reading plan and these scriptures that we're reading are designed to take us by the hand and not help us rush past these paradoxes in life, but to see that God's Word goes there with us. Mm-hmm. And that Jesus, like we said, yes, His bodily presence is is no longer here on earth with us, but His Spirit is, mm-hmm. and His Spirit is Him. Hey friends, it's Katie from She Reads Truth. We are so excited to start 2020 by reading Genesis together. Join us for this brand new five-week study as we journey from Eden to Egypt and come face-to-face with the God who has loved us since the very beginning. This book is beautiful and has become a fast favorite with our team. We hope you'll read Genesis with us this new year. Genesis launches in our shop on Black Friday. We have tons of Black Friday surprises, so make sure to head on over to shopshereadstruth.com this Friday to get Genesis and tons of other products. And the reality is that it may not be a hard Thanksgiving for some for, That's for some people. It, it it doesn't have to be the 50-50 of the Mayflower. Right. You That's know? a good point. I right. think that there are some really, really hard holidays. Yeah. And I think that there are just some really, really fabulous holidays where there's just so much celebration. In our family, we had a new baby this year. Not yes. me, my sister, but we have a lot to celebrate. And when we gather around the table, our family, Ryan's parents are coming. We have 17 people at our Thanksgiving table this year. And that is worth celebrating. Um, And also, as we gather and hold hands and pray, we remember the people who have lost this year. And, And I think that it's not bad to celebrate and enjoy your Thanksgiving and not feel weighty. It's also really cool to feast and to celebrate and to lean into the the bounty, the goodness of, of God's grace and, and His kindness. And you know what that reminds me of? And this is like related, not about Thanksgiving, but about how, you know, in this season that my family has been walking through, you, Rachel, have been very keenly aware that your family is not walking through a time like that. And so, when you, you know, travel or celebrate or do beautiful things that families do, you know, there have been times where you've come to me and gone, I hope that this doesn't sting Mm -hmm. for you to see. And, and the truth is, is it doesn't, it actually reminds me of the already and the not yet. It's like, okay, that's not where we are right now. We're in a different version of that. But it reminds me that this particular season will not be forever. And, um, And it actually is a reminder of the hope that we have. And so, you know, for our listeners who are like, man, I'm not there and I feel guilty about that. Don't feel guilty about not being in that same place. Be grateful and thank God for His kindness Mm -hmm. and that He can be, you know, He is as present with you in your joy as He is with me and my grief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. As believers, we do not have to be constantly at least at a low level of mourning or or grief or sadness. We will always feel the tension. There's that Uh hot word again. We will always feel the ache of living in a broken world, living before God makes all things new. But it is also a-okay to just feel so joyful and and to celebrate and to give thanks for all the great things. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, hey, John's still here. Hey, John. <laughs> we're just going to keep on talking. I mean, you guys were doing great. I didn't want to interrupt. Um, no, I mean, I think totally resonate with what you're both saying. I had a question for Amanda. So, you know, I, I was reading, so you guys know I, I really like 
C.S. Lewis. Same. As, as most believers do. I think when you become a Christian, they, they give you a C.S. Lewis library, and you just have to read it. And, you just quote it and, from time to time. Do you guys know what C.S. stands I know you guys know, but I'm asking the listeners if they know what C.S. stands for. It's so endearing. Um, we were at a park in Chicago in August, and um, that Maggie Daly Park, I don't know if you guys live in Chicago, but that is the coolest park I've ever been to. Anyway, we heard this dad, and he was calling his two sons, and he was like, hey, Clive and Knox, you know, come over here. And it was just the funniest thing, because I think, like, how many kids kids are named Clive. Not very many. Not uh, enough. Not, not enough. Like, not, not enough. But yeah, so it's C.S. Pretty Lewis clear stands for that, Clive Stables. Yeah. Lewis. Yeah. Anyway. Pretty clear who his namesake is, I yeah. think. Yeah. So anyway, so I was reading in a book he wrote called A Grief Observed, and it's his own reflections on the passing of his wife. What's kind of interesting is when he first wrote it, he wrote it under a pseudonym. And people bought it for him, not knowing he was the author, going, you what? could really benefit from this, go, yeah. know, knowing what you're going through. I love through, that story. Which is such a sweet that thing. That is new information to me. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a copy that doesn't have his name on it, it's probably so, worth something. do you wow. know that I do have a copy that doesn't have his name on it? Really? Because it was gifted to me by our friend, Russ. That is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. But in that book, yeah. this, is, this is all getting to my question for you. Okay. So in the, Wait, this wasn't just teeing me up for my funny story about... It was Kids two th- named it, in a park? It could be two things. Okay, great. Um, in that book, he talks about, and I don't have the, I don't have it in front of me, so it's not going to be an exact quote, but he says something about, you know, having experienced this period of grief allowed him to latch on to what he truly believed, that it became, I, I don't want to use the word test, because I don't think he uses that word, mm-hmm. but the idea is that he went through that period and came through the other side with greater faith in what he knew to be true in yeah. God's word. Yeah. Um, so like, I know in my own life in smaller ways that has been true, but like, what's been your experience? Like, do you mm-hmm. feel, and we don't want to ever say like, oh, I'm so glad this happened because no. now this is the result. Yeah. Nobody's saying that. Thank you for that, that clarification. But, <laughs> but like, what has been your, like your, if you don't mind telling, yeah. what's your faith journey been like through this? I think that's a good question. Um, so I think that it has been a journey, so it has taken some time, but I believe that at first... You know, phase one was sort of, I know you're here. Why isn't this going differently? Phase, I know you're here and I know what you're capable of. Right. I know that you're here. I know what you can do. I don't understand why you're not doing it. Or even further, why things are going so badly. Mm -hmm. And then I think phase two for me was in that book, C.S. Lewis says, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. And that resonates really deeply because even, you know, we didn't lose our son, but there are times where it felt like he was lost and it is just like a fear. And so in that phase, I think of, I think it was Peter who, you know, when, when Jesus is like, are you going to leave too? When some of his disciples left and he looks at his 12 and like, are you going to go too? And is it Peter who says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And now if I may call it phase three, it is just the, the answer to your question is yes, I found that to also be true. It wasn't immediately true. It wasn't like a, you know, A plus B equals C, you know, like suffering plus Bible equals greater faith. It wasn't that way um, and isn't. This is an ongoing thing. I suspect it will be for my whole life. Um, but I do find that my faith, it feels I guess I would use the word stronger, but I, I don't know that I would use the word stronger because I don't feel stronger. I feel significantly weaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the word proved, like I think it has proved my faith. Like mm-hmm. um, to not, 
excuse this or allow platitudes to kind of like write it all off has meant that it's been like, you know, Jesus and I across the table from each other. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And we're both still just there. And we, um, our relationship has grown. You know, when you walk through a hard thing with a person, Mm -hmm. you know, like Rachel and I, we've experienced this where Mm -hmm. we've walked through hard times together, even in our relationship, like our relationship, it can be difficult because it is so intense. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, running a business and ministry together is intense. And we've, we yeah. rely very much on each other. Very much. And, you know, just like a marriage or a, you know, parent-child relationship, when you when you rely very much on another human. When my decision directly affects you and your decisions 100%. directly affect me, yep. just like a marriage. Right. Amanda and, is not my spouse, but she is my significant other. <laughs> I love that. Sigov. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that is a metaphor for what has happened with me and the Lord in this time. Mm. And this, Toby's story is not about me. Mm-mm. Um, it's, it's a very much about Toby and what the Lord is doing but, in and through him. But, but, but you also have a story. Um, yeah. In, in my story, it is proven true that to walk through this side by side with Christ has changed my yeah. faith. And it's not like, oh, I figured things out. It's just like, oh, it's still true. And when someone is still there through a hard thing, it just is naturally a stronger mm-hmm. bond. You know, that's something that, that God does mm-hmm. anyway. So would it would it be fair to say, because like you said something and I really liked it. I'm like, oh, does this even improve on what Lewis said? You know, Ooh, I don't know whoa. if that's possible. Oh, I don't know about but, that. Like, you just one-upped Clive, I think. Okay, um, I'm going to need this in writing so, later, but go on. Can we call her Amanda Staples Williams? Instead Amanda of Bible Amanda? Staples Williams. Uh, there we go. Nothing, yeah, nothing's better than Bible. we got to keep the Bible. That's true. Um, nothing is better than the Bible. Thank you for saying that, John. <laughs> Tweet that. Okay, go ahead. So, no, what you were saying is, you know, it's it's not that going through a period of mourning, I mean, it may make your faith stronger, but that's kind of a, a side thing. Like, really what it does is it gives you a picture of a stronger Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he becomes bigger. It's not necessarily that you have somehow... I mean, hopefully it is. Hopefully it is very sanctifying. Hopefully it is something where you come out on the other side and you do have, uh, you have a, a renewed faith and, um, and, and all of that good stuff. But... Really, what it's doing is it's giving you a better, truer picture of how strong Jesus is, and how yeah. he, both sovereign and in control, and also better. Uh, I want to say gooder because I want I want to get a I'm good. Into that. Yeah, he's good. Uh-huh. He's be- but he's better than than we could have imagined. And uh, he's better than an outcome. Right. Like our our friend Lori Ferguson Wilbert has a saying. She and her husband have like a motto in their home, which I think is so cool. I need a, ho- a motto in my home, but it's what, um, what's your home? I'm sorry, we'll come back to that home motto. We'll come back to that Mark at the end. Mark. But it's fidelity to the word of God and not to an outcome. Yeah, and so that just comes to mind. But I think what I've am finding is that my desired outcome, God is bigger. Then, because in my head, I'm like, oh, he's big. He can give me this desired outcome because he's the God of miracles. And he is, and he could. However, what he is doing is even bigger than that. And I don't necessarily like it (laughs) because I want my outcome, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. Um, especially when someone's suffering is involved. But I, you know, where else would I go? Yeah. I didn't know what Amanda was going to say when John asked, do you feel stronger in your faith? And I was, I guess, honestly surprised to hear, you know, for you to say, I I feel weaker. But I mean, that's 
that's biblical, you know, that yeah. when we are weak, then he is strong. And so yeah. for you, Amanda, to say, I feel weaker than ever, but uh, I can see a stronger Jesus than I've ever seen. Right. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Amanda Staples Williams, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Stay tuned for my Well, first and you didn't come by that easily. Book. I mean, you came by that through life experience and through the experience of the truth of the gospel. The same truth that was true for C.S. Lewis is true for me and for you and for you, John. Yep. Yeah. And I didn't come by it. Like it's something that, that God was gracious enough, I think, to teach me mm-hmm. because I happened, you know, I not happened to be, but I was in a place where I could receive that. And yeah. and so it's like one of the things like I don't wish for this, Mm-mm. but I'm still thankful for who he is and what he's done. Not which isn't the same thing as like, oh, I'm thankful that happened. Mm-mm. You know, it's different. It's mm-hmm. complicated. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I, it's we tend to we and by we I mean I I tend to want if things aren't tidy, then I just don't want to like, well let's just not go there because untidy equals uncomfortable. And I don't like that. And yeah. I, I just you're I don't not, I don't like to be uncomfortable. You're not wired that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not wired that way. Yeah. And and that actually like makes me think because here, here's always been kind of my struggle with the tension of the already and the not yet is it doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't seem like a great comfort to know that at the end of the story, all things will be made new. Yeah, It should be. But like when you're experiencing, uh, you know, a loss or a hardship or an, an unmet desire that like goes right to your core, it doesn't seem like consolation. And it, the thing we have to wrestle with is that Jesus promises us, all things will be made new. Everything will be redeemed. The end is better than the beginning. And so, like, even though we don't know how that will be when we're right. walking through something, and Scripture doesn't spell it out exactly, right? Like, we get to we get to the end of, the, of Revelation, and we have this promise that there will be no more grief, no more crying, no more pain. Death will be no more. You know, sin is conquered. Satan is thrown into the mm-hmm. lake of fire, and it is is no longer there to to torment the saints. And yet, there aren't a lot of details. As okay, well, what does that look like with the child I lost, or the marriage mm-hmm. that ended, or a uh, hundred other things that people deal with that just seem broken and don't seem to have a a way of reconciling? You know, and so. It's kind of this, it's not just a tension, but it's this mystery we live in where all we have is the character of Jesus to go, I don't know how this is going to all be made new. I don't know how this is going to be better in the end, but I trust you and I know it will. Yeah, it's good and hard, you know. So thinking about like the idea of mystery and how how things will work out in the end. You know, we don't, we don't get those answers or we don't, we don't always get that. But like, I look at a story and coincidentally like the pilgrims and go, Oh, this is, this might even be, you know, a way of looking at the things we don't see. And so like, I want to kind of just share something about Squanto. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I trust you, John. Where are we going? So you may, you know, you may remember, you know, hearing the Thanksgiving story and and knowing that Squanto was a native American who helped the English settlers farm that land and teach them how to fish and and kind of help them survive. But you may not know his story and it's fascinating. He, and this has kind of been pieced together. So some of these details aren't, aren't exactly certain, but what we do know is when he was about 12 years old, he was captured and taken as a slave to Europe. Uh, he and some other Patuxent Indians were taken away from their home and taken all the way across the Atlantic and sold in Spain. 
Squanto, his name was Tesquantum, but we call him Squanto, he was bought by Spanish monks who loved Jesus and treated him really kindly. Their intention was not to make him their slave, but to set him free. Um, oh, wow. They, so they shared the, the gospel with him, and they, they were kind to him and, and gave him uh, work to do and food to eat and a place to sleep. And then about five years later, they sent him on his way to England with the hope of finding passage back to America. And so he went to England. Like with the hope of him getting to go back to where he yeah, grew up? Yeah, getting to go oh, back cool. home. Um, yeah. And, and so he, he lived in, in London and learned English. And, you know, it was the period of King James and all the, you know, the early 17th century. And, and what's funny is when he does meet the pilgrims, he had been in London more recently than they had. Oh, wow. Um, so, but, but anyway, he, he does eventually find a passage on a ship as a translator. And they take him all the way back home. Now he's been away for 10, 12, something like that, 10, 12 years. And when he gets home, he discovers that his whole village is gone. There's no one left. So his family is his wiped family out. His family is wiped okay. out. Okay. And, you know, the disease came through and, and no one survived. He is the last Patuxet. And wow. so he tries at first to go live with other uh, Native American tribes. It doesn't work out. He doesn't, he just never feels home. Not only because he's not his tribe, but also now he knows Jesus and he speaks English right. and he has this, you know, this European culture that he's kind of gotten to, gotten used to. And so he goes and lives in the woods by himself until one day when a friend comes and says, hey, there's someone back home. They're there and they're, they're trying to live there. You should meet them. And so he comes through the woods and in perfect English says, hello. <laughs> what? Oh, and so the pilgrims, they meet Squanto and, you know, he's there and he, he knows their God, he knows their language, and he knows the land knows they the have land. to live on. And so Squanto is more than happy to see children again and he wants them to grow and thrive. And so he teaches the people how to farm the land, how to, grow, how to fish, how to catch lobsters, all the things that are helpful to, for them to survive. And this isn't lost on the pilgrims. Um, so they later, you know, William Bradford is the governor, will say, Squanto is like our Joseph. He's the one God sent ahead. You know, what someone, what someone meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. Wow. As it says in Genesis. And so, like, they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. The, the pilgrims, um, when they showed up and they had all these losses, uh, all these deaths, and, you know, their, their numbers were cut in half— they, they didn't know that God was also working behind the scenes, taking something horrible and bringing something good out of it. And I think that is true with our stories. We don't always get to see what God is doing, but he is working. And we know the ultimate end. Yeah. And sometimes mm -hmm. there are stories like that in our lives where mm -hmm. we get to see where God is at work and is doing something that is better than we could have anticipated if we had planned it out. Right. He is planning our provision, like his provisions for us. And even and probably even for Squanto, in Squanto's economy, he may would have liked to be able to return to his people. You yeah. know, it's not like, well, this was ideal for me. This right. worked right out. But but that's not really how the, our stories go. And it is also not really about our economy. It's about right. God's economy and, and what he is doing to bring about. We're talking in homeschooling right now about the concept of providence. And it's a easy and also not easy concept to understand because the providence of God is pretty unfathomable, but it's also a really wonderful to spot. That, okay, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, and I almost. should say... That's, I should 
Incredible. I, sh- I should give a footnote. So we have a, a book at home that we read to our kids every Thanksgiving because we're nerds. Mm-hmm. And it's by it's by Eric Metaxas <laughs> and it tells the story of Squanto. It's really great. So if you, you know, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's really, it's really cool way to kind of like get that side of, of Thanksgiving that we don't often hear. That's really cool. I love talking about God's provision and his providence, knowing that we are in Thanksgiving week and knowing that we are in this morning and dancing reading plan because it just acknowledges like, yes, we're going to give thanks. There's so much to give thanks for. The Bible commands us to rejoice in all things and give thanks and pray without ceasing and all of those things. Like it's, it's throughout scripture, right? But to know that we don't have to do that in a in a false way or in a naive way where we're just like everything's great and back to you know the the false gospel that well if you have Jesus you're happy all the time that is untrue and that's not what Jesus asks of us he says you will have trouble in fact our weekly truth for I believe it's the first weekly truth of this plan is yeah. that right yeah John it's, 16 um, John 16:20 I assure you so this is a promise. Mm-hmm. I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And we know that, that Jesus is referencing his, his crucifixion, correct? But I also think this is for us, like that is the already, is that the crucifixion has happened and we, you know, on Good Friday, we mourn mm-hmm. that Jesus had to suffer for us. But the not yet is that all of our sorrow, our ongoing sorrow, will turn to joy. Yeah, yeah. And we are working on, uh, I like to give spoiler alerts. I don't know if I, we have to cut this or not, but we are working on... It's your on, podcast. You listen, can spoil whatever you'd like. <laughs> we are working on, um, you guys know that we did a reading plan called The Names of God, and we did a reading plan called The Attributes of God, and you guys loved those. And so one that we're working on for the spring for you all and for us, honestly, is a plan called the promises of God. And we when reading this, so I'm so I'm keenly tuned into promises of God in scripture. And so reading John 16:20, Jesus talking to his disciples not long before the high priestly prayer, for him to say those six words, your sorrow will turn to joy. It's a promise. Yeah. It's a promise and it's something, you know, Amanda like you said way early in this episode that it is it is a the hope that we have to look to. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit now, and it is for sure later. It is our right now hope, and yeah. it is our future hope. Yeah. Yeah. But before we go, one thing we forgot to talk about is, what is your home motto? I don't know. I didn't know you were going to ask me that. We have one. Okay, I want to know. What I, is it? And I don't know. If and then a, I can just I don't steal know, it. I don't know if it's a motto or not, but we have always said to our kids, the Myers are kind, the Myers are generous. That's just oh, the way that we that. like to operate. And you are. You're one of the most generous families I know. Oh, that's really yeah, kind. You're that's very good. hospitable. I love, I always love coming to your house. Well, that's good. Because I just know, A of all, I know you're going to take care of me and give me food and, and coffee, mm-hmm. which is very deeply meaningful to my heart. I'm sure there's a better motto to be had, but for now, that's what we say to our kids. Do you have it's one, It's better than ours. Um, so I have three kids, five and under. Oh. And so they, they break a lot of things. And so... <laughs> Is your motto, don't break stuff? Well, it, it started out like... It, it, I said it once, and our oldest, Jonah, kind of picked up on it, and now we all repeat it. But our motto is, if it's not a toy, it's not a toy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Oh, okay, that's I feel fair. like I'm going to have to just go... So this isn't a motto, but the only thing that comes to mind that we say 
regularly in our house is always and forever, no matter what, mm. which has kind of become even more meaningful recently. But just like, and I've been telling Toby that I'm like, hey, you know, you're, we're your family, always mm-hmm. and forever, no matter what, Aww. because you know, we haven't been able to be with him all the time. But um, anyway, not to get too tender, but I'm going to think of a good one. I feel like it'll involve food, but but I'll get I back love to that. you. Okay. Okay. And so then before we go, the last thing that we like to do on this podcast is a beauty, goodness, and truth moment. So John or Amanda, do you guys have anything? What are you thinking this week? Okay. So I have to mention this because I've been waiting to say this for almost a year. Our little boy has come home from the hospital. As the day of this recording, he is home right now. As I'm recording, he is at our house, probably laying on the couch with the dog. That's a big deal. Hallelujah. And the most beautiful thing that I've seen recently was as he walked from his hospital room, like down the hall to exit the hospital, he broke through a banner (laughs) that said, I'm the only one of me because he loves the Taylor Swift (laughs) song me and his little kind of hobbled through it and broke through it and everyone was cheering and it was amazing. It was fantastic. I mean, that is goodness and beauty. It is. Wow. And that that lyric is truth. It is. is He is the only one of him. I like it. Okay, John, what about you? Okay, so as I mentioned, we have three small children. <laughs> and so what happens when you have little kids is you start you want to start teaching them things in everything you do and you want to like make everything really special. And so one of the things we started doing a couple of years ago is we joined a CSA and started eating with the seasons. Oh, cool. And so it's fall. And so we have a couple times now made butternut squash soup from scratch. Yes. And it is amazing. I love it, that. It is like, I mean, it's it's a lot of chopping. I spend like a good, you know, good 20, 30 minutes chopping up squash and apples and other things that go in there. But when it is done, it just feels like fall in a bowl. And I'm yeah. like, yes. I'm just, I go back to like, isn't God so cool that he created this otherwise ugly fruit, ugly yeah. thing, when you mix it up and put it put in these other ingredients, just becomes so amazingly delicious. And it's like a, it's like, it just, the only way I can describe it is it feels like fall in a bowl. Oh my goodness. John, can we put that recipe in our show notes? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, All right, Rachel. I mean, guys, Thanksgiving is my Super Bowl. I'm just going to be very honest. It is my favorite holiday. I'm sorry to Christmas, but the pressure of Christmas is real. Yeah, it's a the lot. Gifts, the gifts really overwhelm me, um, the receiving and the giving. So Thanksgiving is my best day of the entire year. And our family has a tradition. I think this will be our 13th year doing this. Um, we are the power user of the Williams-Sonoma Thanksgiving menu. So for years and years, I don't know how long they've been doing this, but every year they put out a small, like kind of five by eight printed Thanksgiving menu with all the recipes, with the shopping list, with everything you need to have the Williams-Sonoma Thanksgiving. I do not shop at Williams-Sonoma for those items, to be clear, but <laughs> we always do whatever they, it is they say to do. And we've done it every year and it is escalated, of course, um, to, you know, at this point, you know, it is, it is my Super Bowl, like I said. So I have every year I create a Gantt chart that perfectly times all of the dishes. It tells which oven they go in at what temperature, which dish they'll go in, which serving dish, where on the table it will go so that everything will land on the table at one o'clock on the dot it is perfectly timed. It is like a ballet. Everyone stay out of the kitchen. I've got this. And it is my favorite day of the year. Guys, if you're new to Rachel Myers, that's really what you need to know in a nutshell is that she has a Thanksgiving Gantt chart timed down to the minute. It's and pretty spectacular. It's pretty spectacular. And you know what? We have 17 people this year. I said we've got some neighbors coming. We've got family coming from out of town. And 
I think it is the largest number of people at our table this year. And so I just, game on. I'm so excited. Let's do this. If you invite us, we'll bring the butternut squash. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, I'm in. That's 22. That, that would be my new record. Let's do it. So, guys, if you are listening to this relatively close to when it released, it is, of course, the week of Thanksgiving. But that means that this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Oh, uh, we're so excited. So we have celebrated Advent for years um, at She Reads Truth. I think but this is our eighth Advent as a community. That sounds right. We're so excited that on our eighth year, we're going to get the added layer of podcasts. So not only will you be able to read the scripture in the mornings like you've been doing and like we do with you, but... Let's say you're washing dishes or uh, driving in the car. You're going to get to have four episodes from us of some of the most interesting Advent conversations that we've had at the office. And we've been talking about Advent since June. Yes. So there's a lot of conversation. <laughs> so we are thrilled for an outlet for that conversation and to bring you guys into it and really unpack what Advent is, talk about the Advent scriptures, fun facts about the Nativity story, questions that we've all wondered since we were kids. I want to know, guys, what do you think? Were there animals at the nativity, and did they bow? I have an opinion about this. I bet John has an opinion. I do. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. Um, if you haven't subscribed, be sure to subscribe. We don't want you to miss anything. Invite your friends. If you are enjoying the podcast, if you could give us a review um, wherever you listen to podcasts, that is so helpful. That we helps other that. people. Yeah, that just helps us welcome other people into the community. And as you know, like there is always room for more at the table when it comes to opening our Bibles and reading together. So as you go into Thanksgiving this week... Remember those six words, if you remember nothing else, that promise from Jesus, your sorrow will turn into joy. John, thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back for some of those Advent conversations. Yeah, thanks for having me. In fact, you must. Please come back for those Advent <laughs> conversations. All right, team, we will be back next week. And until then, keep opening your Bibles. Bibles.